the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is, and welcome back as we head into hour two of our daily three-hour show, Monday, April 25th, 2022. And as we do every Monday, I think the I think without fail, except when I haven't been here, I think he has never been absent. He gets a... He, he, he gets good grades uh, for attendance, and that is Brandon J. Weikert. He is the publisher of the Weikert Report, columnist for the Asia Times, America Greatness, Washington Times, all the good outlets, and the author of Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower. His new book, The Shadow War, coming out a little bit later this year. Hello, Brandon. Hello, and I think not only have I called in or, or taken the call when I've been uh, out of town and traveling for my other, you know, date or my job. Uh, I've also, I think, uh, taken the call uh, on days other than Monday. Yeah, so yeah. I, there have uh, been a few days where we've had to uh, get some extra credit. There. Yeah, you do get extra credit. You get that's how you get above a four We've had to break the glass and pull the lever a few times and call call you. You betcha. That's right. That's Thank you, right. sir. Well, thanks for having me. You betcha. As always, me, as always, you're our favorite. You're our favorite. Um, well, thank you. Uh, you bet. I have a lot I want to do with you. Let me include – well, yes, let me start with your latest, uh, uh, if I might. Uh, I think it was in the in the Asia Times, Russia Becomes oh, an yeah. Asian Nation. Yeah. Um, this has always been interesting to me, how people – how we are supposed to consider or think about Russia. You kind of take it from a different angle, but you can cover it in what you're trying to say here. Um, because when we talk, a lot of us do talk about the West. We're not really thinking Russia. We're not really thinking Russia, no. are we? No, no. And, um, I, you know, many Russian leaders always tried to be Western, but really since the Mongol invasion a thousand years ago, uh, the Russia hasn't been a purely Western state, and this has always been sort of the uh, uh, line of attack or the, the sort of the official line of those people like Gonzo uh, Alexander Dugan of the Neo-Eurasianist school. Oh, yes. Who right. sort of who sort of believe that, well, Russia exists beside and apart and atop of the West. Uh, it's both Western and Asian, because when the Mongols invaded, they not only spread Asian cultural patterns onto the Slavic people of Russia, but they also obviously brought with them their their Asian genes and therefore changed the very, not just cultural makeup, but the physical and genetic makeup of the Russian people forever. And and, and that's the argument that the neo-Eurasianists have been making. And Vladimir Putin and his Siloviki, the cadre who are around him, those former Soviet intelligence and military people, who were very incensed by the collapse of the uh, Soviet Union and the defeat, their defeat in the Cold War, uh, they have really bought it to this line about Russia being separate from the West. And so on our side in the West, uh, you're right. Most Many people have not really viewed Russia as a Western power, although it should be noted that most Russian leaders since at least Peter the Great 
have tried to be Western, mm-hmm. uh, but they've never really been fully embraced. Uh, some of it for good reason. Some of it because, you know, there's a lot of Russophobes. But today we're now living in an era where, in a way, the, the, the leaders of Russia are now saying, you know what, you don't want us to be part of you? Well, guess what? We don't want to be part of you. We're, the future's in China, and that's where we're going to be marching. We're going we're gonna to pivot to Asia on our own. Uh, and, and, and that is the thrust weapons. of your column as to uh, yeah. us may, maybe even helping him there. And I want to get to some of that in a moment. Yeah. I just want to make one more comment about the West, because not only did we not consider them the West, uh, primarily by memory, you would know better, but primarily by memory, two of the more famous uh uh, two of the more famous leaders of the Soviet Union when it was the Soviet Union, Khrushchev and Brezhnev, they declaimed against the West, meaning not themselves. They would speak about the West, while ironically enough, you know, ag- aggregating to themselves, and this would be more Brezhnev than, Gor- uh, than uh, Khrushchev, um, but – but um, but but they would aggregate to themselves all these Western products. You know, they would live the right. luxury of the Western lifestyle right. with all the Western appurtenances. It was just well, always the, uh, an irony of the Soviet Union to me. Well, the, tra- the the bizarre thing is, you're right about Khrushchev and and Brezhnev. But yeah, I, I meant to say Khrushchev. I hope I didn't say Gorbachev. Yeah. If I did, I didn't no, no, mean no, to. No, you said no. Okay, no, okay. No, and and okay. you're right. And also and also Andropov. Oh, good. Uh, who was the most? You know, besides Stalin, who was the most yeah, hard line. But all of those people, what, what was always interesting to me studying the Soviet Union is Marxism itself is a product of Western civilization. It is yeah. a critique of Western right. civilization. Right. And so, you know, the very fact that the, the regime in the Soviet Union was Marxist-Leninist, Lenin was, you know, lived in Switzerland, was it mm-hmm. Switzerland or Sweden for many years. I mean, these guys were all Western, even if they said they weren't. Uh, the thing about Putin and the Siloviki, because of this, and we had to do what we did after Russia invaded uh, Ukraine, but because of those actions on our part, we have basically ensured that Putin and his cadre have a choice, either surrender to us, which is never going to happen, or pivot and go east and embrace the Asian side of Russia that has long been ignored and subordinated by secession of czars and Soviet leaders to their Western preferences. But now that the West has shut itself off mostly to Russia, the the Russian leadership has no choice but to pivot to the east and march uh, into the beat of China's drum, and, and they are increasingly. How much of this is um, how much of this is their choice? In a sense, obviously, all of it, I suppose, at a wholesale level. But how much of it at a retail level is is it because we've pushed them there? Well, it takes two to tango. Yeah. So I love Pete. You know, I've talked about this before. Uh, Peter Conradi, uh He wrote a great book, "Who Lost Russia," uh, and he's uh, I think he writes for the Guardian or the Sunday Times. Well, I can't remember one of the British papers. Um, but I'm a big fan of his, and he basically did probably the best, most readable history of the post-Soviet American relationship. And what he determined through exhaustive reporting and research is that basically um, the, the current crisis we're in is the result of both bad decisions by both Russian and American leaders in the post-Cold War era. Uh, the, the Russians you know, clung on 
to certain assumptions. They wouldn't let go, like, you know, the Balkans should be in the Russian sphere of influence. They wouldn't abandon the notion of spheres of influence, which is a very Russian idea going back to the 19th and 18th centuries. Uh, and then the Americans, for their part, couldn't c- perceive that Russia would ever find a problem with NATO and European Union expansion into the former Soviet space. And so together, we kind of created this crisis. So um, a lot of it is our fault, but a lot of it is Russia's fault as well. And the reality is, here we are, and now we're having to pay the price for 30 or 35 years of really short-sighted and bad decision-making and bad assumptions from both sides of this crisis. And now we're all having to pay the price. And if Russia really does pivot to the East, which it is doing, if Russia does act, talking about a reordering of Eurasia uh, that is pro-China, anti-American, pro-autocracy, um, uh, anti-democracy, and that ultimately potentially shuts off the world's largest landmass with the most amount of people, most arable land, most potable water, most natural resources, shuts that off for the most part or, or really stymies our ability to gain access to that part of the world, which is a strategic nightmare for us. When you say, and I'm going to come back to that, I also have a, a question for you from a listener that was emailed in uh, last week that I think is still ripe. So I'm going to I'm going to come back to all of that as you addressed it. But but I just want to suggest this thought. When I was saying hotel, wholesale and retail, yes, of course, uh, we have been pushing them. Uh, certainly, even more so since with the sanctions regime since the invasion of Ukraine. That's the retail. What we've been doing in response. I was thinking of wholesale in this sense, being their fault, retail our fault, wholesale their Certainly. fault, wholesale in the Certainly. sense that we wouldn't be doing any of this but for their behavior. That's 100%. There, there, I'm there, not there was defending. a trigger, a triggering yes. cause and, and here. The, the, the annoying part is when I write these things, many people seem to think I'm taking up for Russia, and right. I am not. And you and I, I, I spoken, right. exactly. you, know, at, you know, in great depth about my problems with Russia. Yep. But if you were to ask me, put a gun to my head and say, give me an objective assessment of why we're here, this is my best attempt. Yeah. So, you know, I tell my readers who are critical, so sue me. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> or how about give you how, – how about you, you'll give them their money back? I, I've always liked that. Uh, Bill Buckley said cancel your own you-know-what subscription. Uh, I'm Seth Liebson. He's Brandon J. Weikert from The Weikert Report, theweikertreport.com, W-E-I-C-H-E-R-T. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Brandon J. Weikert is our guest. You can read him at the Asian Times, uh, American Greatness, Washington Times, uh, or his website, theweikertreport.com, W-E-I-C-H-E-R-T. Brandon, a bunch of stuff I want to do still on the Ukraine. Then I want to do some China. I want to do some Iran. And I have some listener questions that were emailed uh, into me for you as well. Um, Uh, On the Ukraine front, I was just commenting before you came on uh, in the last hour that, you know, it's it's obviously a a thing of our times that we we go through one crisis. It's the worst thing in the world. It's the invasion of Poland um, and it occupies and saturates everything for six weeks. And then, oh, my gosh, Elon Musk is buying Twitter and the Ukraine Russia story is over. My only point is this because that's its own 
that's its own pathology. My point is, um, question to you is, what is the latest? You can't find Ukraine on TV anymore. You can't find Russia on TV anymore. What do we need to know, if anything? Well, I suspect that it has something to do with the fact that despite what our best intelligent people, supposedly intelligent experts, have been saying, Russia's not out of the fight. And in fact, as you and I have been talking about the last few weeks, now that the fighting is switching and moving away from Kiev and sort of that western central component of the country where uh, Zelensky's forces really have a lot of the advantages, we're now shifting into the southern and eastern component of the country in which the Russians at least have a much fairer fight. Now, the Ukrainian military has been doing a heck of a job still, uh, really getting in the Russian space and not letting them sort of have a moment to breathe. But the Russians are, um, I think, one of the reasons why the media is so happy to sort of change stories and focus on something else is partly because the Russians are probably going to start having some victories here and they don't want to, you know, display that, um, understandably, because our side has been, our media has been so in the tank for Ukraine um, that they, they, they almost can't show any kind of weakness in the, on the part of, of Ukraine, lest their already shattered credibility go completely out the window. Um, and so I think that's part of it. I think part of it is also Twitter being bought by Elon Musk really is a big story. It mm-hmm. is a big deal. Uh, many people may not, you know, outside of my generation and sort of Gen X may not understand it in the boomer generation, but it, it is a big deal. Uh, it's an issue of freedom of speech. Uh, and it is also going to impact the way that even the Ukraine-Russian war is reported. Feel free to take a moment on that if you want, Brandon. Yeah, feel free to speculate. Well, basically, basically um, you know, as you know, I, I'm, very, I'm very much on the side of Ukraine. Uh, but there, there have been a retinue of stories that have come out that really don't make Ukraine look like an angel. Right. And some of our friends on the, particularly the Trump right, have tried to share these stories on social media, and they've been punished. Uh, and these individuals, you and I know, many of them have huge followings and can really influence and shape the debate uh, and the perception of what's going on within Russia and Ukraine. And they've been banned, they've been uh, doxxed, they've been you know, punished because they're sharing things that might make Ukraine not look as good as they that we'd like them to look. Um, but now that that Musk is taking over, if we are to believe the rhetoric coming out of Musk, uh, it looks like it's going to be a free speech zone again. And uh, perhaps some of these these stories will come out uh, and some of the people covering them will be given their day in the sun. And we might, as sort of independent observers, you and I are not in Ukraine right now fighting, so we sort of have our degree separated from it. We might be able to get some alternative views on Ukraine that we otherwise would not be getting. Having said that, as you know, um, at the end of the day, Ukraine is the aggrieved party, and so I think it's important to constantly remind everyone that Ukraine, as the aggrieved party, is doing whatever it has to to survive, and we should sort of give them some leeway with that. But the Twitter story is actually somewhat connected. You know, that is super fascinating to me because one of the things people are going to have to get used to, what other side they're on, is not only the freedom 
to report some of those stories which will be accurate. But it will open up certain floodgates about stories that are inaccurate from a coterie of individuals or people who do not right. stand well, with Ukraine. Well, and people COVID, are going to have a harder you know, time sifting that yep. out, too. The good does COVID come with the bad, vaccine, right? Right. It's not just Ukraine. It's the big, big, big issues. Uh, you know, I'm really hopeful that, that Trump gets reinstated on Twitter and that's going to change everything on Twitter. I'm really hopeful that we can start having people who were maybe vaccine skeptics, uh, you know, get their accounts back and, and be able to, to share their their opinion and talk about what they experienced. Um, you know, that's what that's what that platform. If there is are for. any left, I'm guessing that they all died because they didn't get a vaccine. That's what <laughs> we were. Yeah. I, if there are any left. Right. Yeah, right, right. Right. Maybe they're you surviving know, I mean, families. So, yeah. You know, so it's not just going to be the Ukraine story. It's going to be pretty much any major story. And remember, this is one reason why Trump was able to win, because had the the mechanisms been put in place in 2015 and 16 that were put in place after Trump was won on social media, it's likely Trump would have never been able to go around the mainstream media and gain the kind of following and get the opportunity of victory uh, in 2016 that he did. And now we're seeing Musk step in and hopefully restore Twitter to the pre-2016 era, wherein anybody can get, you know, dare I say famous, but anybody can get big and gain a following and have an influence. Sure, sure. And that's going to be huge because that's really what these platforms are meant to do. We're, we're to bring people together to talk about things that matter to them in a free speech environment. And so I think it's really wild to see the pushback that we've all been waiting for. Do, Brandon, don't you think – I mean I, that's the wrong way to cast it. I'll tell you what I think. I, I, look, um, we've, we've all looked at – you know all the all the evidence having to do with the irregularities at best uh, in the 2020 election, but I got to tell you, I, I I think if one wanted to talk about true election interference and true changing of the results, it actually had to do with social media and their absolutely. censorship of the Hunter Biden story to start with, but oh, other absolutely. things as well. And 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 if you want to understand why the left is so apoplectic today, it might very well be that. It might be that absolutely. You know, I have a colleague in the intelligence community uh, who is who is very Republican and very pro very pro Trump, very senior intel guy. He's still in there, so I'm not going to say his name, but he has been ripping anybody who's supporting Ukraine because his whole thing is: Do you understand that Ukraine was the real election meddler? They were in favor of Hillary Clinton because they were afraid of Trump, and it was Ukraine's government that. And so, of course, you know, I debate him on you know. You know, maybe that was the case. We know that was the case in some instances, but ultimately what's going on in Ukraine is wrong. But his point, I think, he doesn't say it that often in social media. Uh, He doesn't say it that often in public, not only because of his job, but because he's going to get docked. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But but it needs to be said, and we need to look into that. And I think as a citizen, I think it's, it's our job to sort of do that investigation and have an awareness that it's not just this narrative that we're being told to accept or else. I think you're right, Brandon. All right, let me move on to Iran. Well, actually, I want to actually throw you a couple listener questions uh, that uh, people – it's fun now. They're emailing me a week in advance to talk to you, Brandon. That's really cool. Thank you for lending us your brain and your expertise so that they have someone to ask these questions of. I'm Seth Liebson. You're Brandon Weikert, and the rest of the audience will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, portions of which are brought to you by Balance of Nature. 
blend of 16 whole fruits and 15 whole vegetables in one single daily dose. The equivalent of 10 servings of fruits and veggies. It's a fantastic product. I've been taking it for three years. It has kept my energy high as well as my immunity. It will do the same for you. Perhaps the best product I've ever taken and endorsed. And I have to tell you, everyone who's taken it and subscribed as a result of hearing it from me, either in person or through the radio show, they have said the same thing. It is 100% natural. You take it once a day and you are good to go. Balanceofnature.com. It's not only a great product, it's a great company. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE. Brandon J. Weichert is our guest. He is the author of Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower. His new book coming out this year, Shadow War. Uh, We'll talk more about that in just a moment. Brandon, are you okay with uh, me throwing a question at you from a listener? I have I braced myself and I'm ready for action. This is one. Uh, well, there are the, the, this one uh, came in about a little a, a few days ago. Came in a few days ago. Uh, given the trickle of weapons and ammunition, we are moving to Ukraine. Is there great concern about our ability to massively supply NATO countries and future potential member Russian free fire zone Finland? Are we even able to manufacture at a rate that will replace used weapons ammo in a NATO Russia high intensity war? Can we even manufacture now? It takes six months to get a new car from a local dealer how long to replace stingers and javelins we have sent to slow the inevitable outcome in ukraine do we even have the inputs for manufacturing will china happily be the arsenal of our oligarchy (laughs) (laughs) Uh, well that's a very good one i uh i i don't know the specifics of that particular issue i i do think that we are able to churn out those smaller arms a lot more effectively. Um, I, I don't know what the replacement rate for javelins are. I, I don't really even know what the tempo of, I mean, we're using them a lot now. I, I honestly don't know. Um, but I would assume, if I could just make a general statement, I would assume given our otherwise turgid uh, industrial capabilities in this country and the aforementioned supply chain issues, uh, if Russia was able to sort of spread their attack beyond Ukraine, uh, you know, shortly after Ukraine, uh, the hostilities there either came to an end or sort of fizzled out, I would assume that we will have some constraints imposed upon us because we've been pouring a lot of our arsenal, at least NATO's arsenal, into Ukraine. Uh, something else, I was reading an interesting uh, article in the National Interest uh, this morning or last night, uh, in which they were talking about how many of the javelins we we sent over to Ukraine, we basically lost track of. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, this was a big issue in Syria. Uh, this was a big issue in Afghanistan in the 1980s when we were giving the man pads yep. and the stingers to the Afghans, and we did the best we could to track them. But ultimately, we were still chasing those individual weapons units 30 years after the fact. Mm-hmm. And so javelins are incredibly destructive, as we've seen. I mean, they've really, they really halted the Russian armor advance in the Kiev. Uh, these are highly effective weapon systems, and so the only real concern we have right now, we should have, is if we can't either control where those weapons end up, whose hands they end up in, or if we can't reclaim them after the war is over, where might those systems end up? Whose hands might they end up in? And could they be used in a future, say, al-Qaeda right. or Hezbollah attack? Mm-hmm. Uh, because there is a huge black market right now in, in that part of Ukraine. 
uh, where a lot of these weapons, I suspect, will be sold once the hostilities either end or cool down. Yeah, I suspect much the same. I suspect a bazaar is probably being put together to emanate out of Kabul as well at some point soon. We're going to see the receipts on that. Right. That doesn't quite answer your your. your no, it's all right. I mean, there may. But, I, it, it, it's know. probably a national security secret, to be quite honest with you. I would imagine it well, would be. Well, I would just assume that at the rate that we're going, I know it's a higher than usual rate. Yeah. It's probably safe to assume that we will have difficulty replacing sure. many of those of systems if the Russians really have the ability <laughs> to sort of keep the tempo up. Oh, I, I agree with you about all of that, Brandon. I think that's right, and, and, and I'm, I, I am not at all surprised that we we don't have good intel on on what the specific answers are. It's probably not something, as I said, that we we would typically want to release or let the world know. That's about. right. Uh, I want to come back. I want to do uh, the Iran uh, Revolutionary Guard Corps is or is not going to be considered a foreign terrorist organization based on what the Biden administration decides. Let me get the pros and cons from you on that on this on the other side of this break if that's cool brandon no sure absolutely i'm seth leaps and he's brandon j weicker we will be right back welcome back to the seth leapson show portions of which are brought to you by the good people at y refi what if you could do well by doing good what if you could invest in a secure and collateralized portfolio, earning exceptional fixed returns and actually helping other people? What other people? People who have student loan debt, private student loan debt they cannot repay and that no one else will help them with. Why refi will and you can earn by helping them. I take this kind of endorsement very seriously, investment endorsements. I know these people at Y-Refi. They are great people. It is a great company, and it is a great business model. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then R-E-F-Y.com. As I say, they're a local company. You can visit them. You will not get a sales pitch. Y-Refi is in the business of helping people that others won't, and you can to kind of makes you feel good, doesn't it? Go to investyrefi.com or call 855-316-3087. Brandon J. Weikert is our guest. Brandon, let's uh, move a little bit uh, to the Middle East if I can and uh, talk about the latest I'm seeing, uh, the discussion over removing uh, the Iran Revolutionary Guard Corps, the IRGC, from uh, the FTO list, the uh, foreign terrorist organization list that they were put on back, I think, in uh, 2019, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Is there any advantage to taking them off other than as a uh, as an effort of appeasement, if not blackmail, to get them to the table to discuss the nuclear uh, deal? I mean, I, I can't imagine any other reason why we would be engaged in this no, kind of nonsense. That, that- that's the whole thing, is, is, is the negotiations, so-called negotiations, are going quite poorly for Mr. Biden and his team. And it's not that surprising because, A, the Iranians really uh, don't respect us, particularly Biden, and, B, we're relying on the Russians to help bring the Iranians to the table at a time when we are actively helping Ukraine to fight the Russians. So why would the Russians be compelled in any meaningful way to try to make Iran act more reasonably if they're even capable of it. So, uh, no, the foreign terrorist organization designation, or lack thereof, is uh, just another another pathetic, sad 
moved by a pathetic, sad administration that I don't mean to cast aspersions on anyone, but they're going to get us all killed. Yeah, it seems to be unmoored from any kind of reality, but even, you know, more specifically than that, it's not asking the question, what's good for the United States of America? It's not asking that question. It's asking the question, what's good for Iran? And maybe, maybe if we feed that crocodile at some point, it will eat us last. My sense of Iranian history post-1979 is that it eats the appeasers first. The weakness oh, yeah. is what, and, the weakness is what um, uh, initiates their appetite. That's right. And, Seth, it's not just what's good for, for Iran. The, 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 the real calculation on the part of Biden and Ron Klain and John Kerry and the, the people really running the Biden administration is what's good for the Biden administration. Uh, they think that, that getting a deal, any deal, will be a huge boon for them going into 2022, that it could fundamentally change their political uh, uh, future for the better. And so they're going to do whatever it takes, even if it means... They need America a diplomatic out. score is what you're telling me. Yeah, they do. I mean, remember... Do you Biden, think... Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I was just saying, and this is, this is like the cadre of bad decision makers right. and bad judgment because the, the, the Biden administration, Joe Biden himself, is running around still praising his floppy, slapdash Afghan withdrawal, as if that was a great move on his part. And, oh, boy, you know, we did it, you know, on 9-11, no less. And so this is not a guy and a team that's got really good judgment. And so they thought that they were going to be able to announce about Afghanistan on the anniversary of 9-11, that we ended the right. 20-year war, and it ended up being a, a disaster. Right. Something similar, I think, they're trying to do with Iran, where they're going to try going into 2022 midterms. They're going to say, we made the deal, we made peace. And it's going to be a disaster, too, because Iran does not want peace. They want an opportunity, window of opportunity, to wage war on their neighbors and humiliate the United States and destroy the American-led world order, whatever's left of it. And the Russians and Chinese, who are their pals, want them to do this. It's what what's odd to me about all of this, and I guess this is the question I wanted to ask you because you you often, as good as you are on uh, international and foreign policy, you have pretty strong thoughts on domestic as well. And I'm oh, I, thank I, you. yeah, and I, yeah. Well, I'm just go I'm, on. I'm what <laughs> start? <laughs> oh, start. Um, what I guess I wanted to ask is whether you even think that's a good political strategy for domestic political consumption. I guess it may earn you. A couple points, and when you're in the 30s, you need everything you can get. <laughs> but I mean, I, the Biden administration tried to rally the American people to unity over Ukraine, Russia, and it didn't work. I don't yeah. think. I mean, as numbers have gone yeah. down since Russia's gone to the Ukraine, even though he has tried to tie that to a patriotic moment, is Iran going to do that much more for him domestically? Well, you mentioned, yeah, you mentioned 30 points. Well, 30 is definitely a number to remember because we're certainly living in the 30s, yeah. it feels like. Right. Uh, but uh, I know I really think that if I were, and I have many friends who are Democrat strategists, um, I, and they, they are living on another planet, because if I were a Democrat political strategist, I would be pulling out what's left of my hair going, what the heck are these guys doing? Because there's not an ordinary American who thinks that this is a good idea. And it's not going to resonate. And by the way, we're, we're, we're all fixated today in America on more domestic than we are foreign policy stuff. So even if Biden is able to do this deal, even if he's able to gain a measure 
applaud it and support for it. There's so many things going on that's bad on the home front. It won't matter for him. So all of this is just, you know, desperation. And, and Americans don't like desperation, for one. They like winners, as Patton said. And for two, Biden has got so many problems, many of which he helped to create, at the domestic side, that no amount of, of, of foreign policy diplomatic victory in Iran is going to be able to sway people to not vote against the Democrats in 2022. And right now they are facing a electoral bloodbath uh, this November. And there's nothing that Biden has done or apparently will do that will help his party out. And as a Republican, I'm all for that. Uh, but, you know, if I were a Democrat, I'd be going... But it just shows you, by the way, how far to the insane left that party has moved. Because no Biden is playing to a certain group of people, and they are the AOC radical so-called progressive wing of that party, who he assumes is the majority of people in this country. And him and his, his cadre, his people in the White House, are in for a very rude awakening uh, this November, I think. I think you're right, Brandon J. Weikert. I think you're right. I hope you're right. I can't thank you enough, brother. Thank you for everything yeah, you do you. for us and for this country thank you and for, for peace you. in the world. I'm Seth Leibson. <laughs> he is Brandon J. Weicker. Follow him uh, on Twitter at we the Brandon. Check out his website. Check out his columns. Brandon, until next week, unless we have to break that glass and pull the lever again. God bless you, I'm sir. I'm standing by. <laughs> I know you are. <laughs> Perfect attendance rate. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. want to put in a word for our sponsor, Midas Gold Group. First, we were told they're spending trillions on COVID relief and blue state bailouts, not generate inflation. Then we were told it would be transitory. Now we're told it's Russia's fault. One company got it right from the beginning, and that's the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group. My personal, Seb Gorka's personal precious metals dealer. As Washington politicians are pushing large budgets through American, the largest budgets really through American history, Fed is continuing to pump money. You got to know what's going to happen next, including what China will do with their U.S. Treasury holdings. Midas Gold Group will give you the latest inflation projections and report. Just ask them for their free guide to owning physical gold in your IRA. Check them out, Midas Gold Group, 480-360-3000. Don't deal with questionable gold salesmen and avoid mail-order nightmares. Deal with the knowledgeable, reputable company, I, Seb Gorka, and thousands of you do. Midas Gold Group, 480-360-3000 or MidasGoldGroup.com. John Hinderocker has a good post at Powerline on Twitter. Uh, let's see here. Uh, yes, he posts an Elizabeth Warren uh, tweet. Elizabeth Warren. Don't forget about Elizabeth Warren. You're going to hear more from her. Uh, I think you're going to hear a lot more from her as we get closer and closer to the election. Why? I think you're going to be hearing a lot more from Democrats that haven't been on TV much lately, haven't been in your face as much lately. Why do I think that? Because the ones who have have um, have tainted the party so much in the public imagination too much Joe Biden, too much Kamala Harris, and you end up with a 32, 33, 34 percent approval rating, which is not anywhere close to where you want to be going into a midterm election. How many Democratic candidates do you know of or have you heard of that are now 
trying to bring out or are bringing out the president or vice president for fundraisers. Now, mark my words, mark it. I think I'm going to be right about that. Well, check me and I'll apologize if I'm wrong. I Yeah, mark it, dude. I th- <laughs> That's funny. The image is funny. Market dude from the Lebowski, Big Lebowski. I think you're going to see your um, your 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 next bench of Democrats coming out right now. Those that are kind of rubbing their hands together and thinking of possibly challenging the incumbent. Remember, Ted Kennedy challenged Jimmy Carter in '79. Uh, it didn't work. Made Carter nervous. Carter failed anyway. But you might see people like Elizabeth Warren. Maybe Bernie Sanders will go again. It's his last shot. And he came awfully close last time. All right. Issue of free speech is much on my mind. I want to outline the contours of it from a perspective of um, what the founders thought of it and what right thinking, what political philosoph- politically philosophical right thinking should say about the issue of free speech in America. We'll be right back. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 